0: On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome to the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. Today is a very special episode for our listeners, as it is our last episode of the year, In today's episode, 2021, A Year in Review, we will not only be highlighting a few of our very favorite moments from the past year's conversations, but we'll pull back the curtain and hear how the E-Series came to be. Joining me for today's episode is Jessica Crisp, Public Relations Associate for Hospice of the Piedmont and unofficial Editor-in-Chief of the E-Series. Although Jessica typically functions behind the scenes of the E-Series, Today she joins me for an open and honest conversation for some of our favorite moments with the year's guests and the powerful, thought-provoking content they shared with us. Jessica, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself.
1: Ryan, it's great to be here with you today. Being completely honest, this is outside of my comfort zone. I mean, on the other side of the world from my comfort zone. That being said, it's an honor to be here today. I've enjoyed every moment of working with the E-Series. The production side of this project has been a really fun adventure that's fostered tremendous personal and professional growth, not to mention all the incredible things I've learned from the episodes themselves. I've been with our organization for many years now, and the E-Series has quite possibly been one of my absolute favorite projects. All of that to say, I'm excited for all the ground that we're going to cover today as we touch on some incredible highlights.
0: Thank you, Jessica, and thanks for being with me today. For those of you who don't know, I am the Director of Community Engagement and Education for Hospice of the Piedmont. Under normal circumstances, my job would include engaging the community to educate civic groups, church groups, universities, and other nonprofit organizations on topics related to hospice care, volunteer recruitment, and the services provided by our organization. In March 2019, all of that came to a halt as our community and the world was struck by a pandemic. COVID-19 took us all by surprise, to say the very least. And for several months, the work of our department shut down altogether as people and organizations sheltered in place and closed their doors to the public. We could have waited it out indefinitely, but instead we found in COVID-19 an opportunity to think outside the box, It forced us to get face to face with people differently than we had before and became a catalyst for change. We saw the need to engage the community we serve virtually, the desire to explore not only hospice services, but larger, more universal issues, and the responsibility to educate others with the knowledge of not only our team members, but that of experts in the community. Thus, the E-Series was born. A refreshing glass of lemonade, so to speak, from those sour lemons brought on by COVID-19. Initially a live webinar series, we transitioned the E-Series into a podcast, increasing our followership as we continue to release regular content on a myriad of topics, including health disparities, the intersection of faith and health, and the widespread plight facing caregivers in our community. Today, I'm excited for us to break away from the normal rhythm of our podcast and reflect on some of the most impactful and standout moments to us throughout the series. What do you think about today's episode, Jessica?
1: Developing this episode was a fun process. It was neat because for a few of the clips, we were both drawn to some of the same guests, episodes, and even moments. Disclaimer though. We are truly appreciative of all of our E-Series guests over the last 18 months. Please know that this is not an exhaustive list of our favorite moments, and they're in no particular order. Now this is the moment I've been waiting for. I'd like to be Ryan for a moment as I kick us off with our first clip from a conversation with Dr. Yulia Van, Director of Guilford County Public Health, in the episode, Connecting Our Community to the COVID Vaccine. Let's listen in.
2: I think that there are um, a few um, very important pillars that we want to focus on when we talk about the vaccines. First of all, the, the fact that they are safe and efficient, that millions of people in the United States and all over the globe have been already uh, vaccinated. Um, and these vaccines have been developed under the most intense safety measures that could exist in our, um, in our times. Uh, we also continue to um, promote the fact that there is a lot of misinformation out there and we want to make sure that we give our community members the opportunity to really learn about some of the the way that the vaccines have been um, created, the way that the pathway to deployment of the vaccines, as well as some of the myths that are out there that are completely um, non-founded. There is no scientific um, su- uh, support for for some of this information. But we also want to, on the other hand, um, identify and um, also make our community members feel comfortable sharing some of their concerns with us and also uh, making them feel like it's okay to have conversations about the vaccines. It's okay to ask questions. We just need to make sure that we are addressing these in an appropriate way, that we are mindful and um, receptive to their uh, concerns, and that we are providing them with the best um, information that is out there. We have some um, absolutely amazing success stories in our education efforts in which individuals that were not going to get the vaccine and the, the VaxConnect team in High Point were able to answer all of their questions and uh, do so in a very mindful and respectful way, um, made those particular individuals change their minds and actually schedule appointments to get the vaccine. So this is hard work, is um, very um, time consuming and effort consuming, but it's all worth it.
0: It is a deliberate choice to begin this year in review, highlighting our conversation with Dr. Van in regard to the COVID-19 vaccine as it really sums up the past year and how far we have come in coping with and addressing this pandemic. Our organization is grateful for the partnership we were able to establish with the YWCA and Vax Connect. their program providing the community with education and information related to the vaccine with door-to-door canvassing, by becoming a credentialed vaccination provider ourselves and offering homebound individuals the opportunity to be vaccinated conveniently from the comfort of their own home. And we certainly have come a long way. Just last week marked the anniversary of the first vaccine dose distributed. Now there have been millions of doses delivered worldwide and we are finally seeing the light at the end of the tunnel of this pandemic. Fingers crossed. I would love to say that in this past year, all of the myths and misinformation Dr. Van refers to regarding the vaccine have been dispelled, but that is sadly not the case. What I can say though with gratitude is that this past year has taught me a lot about the need for having open, honest, and respectful conversations, especially among those who believe differently than me. And I am not just referring to the vaccine. There have been many polarizing topics that have surfaced or resurfaced over the past two years, and the vaccine debate has been a catalyst for other challenging conversations. What I hear from Dr. Van regarding the vaccine is true of all hard to have conversations. It's important to create a safe space for questions and to approach the conversation from a place of humility and learning, not pride and lecturing. When we can validate someone else's opinion, whether or not we agree, we're able to build relational bridges instead of burn them and earn the platform to share our own passionately held beliefs. The question then becomes who are we willing to have these conversations with and if others are not respectful of differences of opinions, how does that then impact our relationships going forward? We might find ourselves forming new bonds over common stances and losing other long held connections when the divide becomes too wide. Ultimately, When the end goal is understanding and not being right, you can find yourself on two different sides of an issue and still experience respect and authenticity.
1: But Ryan, a part of me really likes being right. Am I alone in that? As much as I agree with you, it can be a tough internal battle to lay the desire to be right about an issue to the side and then be willing to understand and respect an opinion different from my own. I aspire to do that and I hope in time I can. The truth is, the, the difficult experiences in life allow us, or at times force us, the opportunity to connect with others that we may not have connected with outside of these circumstances. Our paths may not have crossed, but now that they have, if we're willing to embrace this as an opportunity, our lives are enriched as we broaden our horizons and form these new connections.
0: Yes, I agree, Jessica. And it can seem like a daunting task, but one that's worthy of the effort. Our next clip from the episode Conversations in Care Bridging the Unknown ties into this theme of building trust with one another and establishing new connections. Let's listen in to what Hospice of the Piedmont admission nurse Joanne Scott had to say.
3: There are many fears that patients face, um, they fear the unknown. Mm. Uh, They fear putting their trust in a a group of people who they have never met before. Mm -hmm. Um, They fear sometimes the medications that are involved with care. Um, They fear uh, how their disease or how their illness will play out. Um, And they need reassurance that Our team has expertise and we have um, a real heart for understanding what their experience has been, understanding what the barriers might be, what what their fears and concerns might be, and starting to just dialogue about those things, to try to move past those, so that a patient isn't feeling so much like a patient but like a person, we just start the journey on the first admission visit, and um, and I think the key is, is just to show the heart of it. You know, we can get wrapped up a little bit in all the details and the minutia, but um, conveying to a patient that you care. You care what their experience has been that led them to the moment when myself and my team first walks in the door. You care about the fears that they bring to the table, some of which may be true and some may not. You care about addressing those and you care about discovering what matters to them as we move forward. And when that care comes through, when the heart of it comes through, then we just start to build trust sort of one brick at a time.
1: Can we just agree that there's a universal fear of the unknown? I mean, raise your hand if you enjoy and thrive in unknown circumstances. We can't see you, but I doubt that any hands have gone up. The unknown is scary, especially when the unknown impacts our life or the lives of those we love. I believe one of the greatest gifts in life is being able to trust someone in the unknown moments when it is not unknown to the other person. I want that person in my corner, the expert, the experienced person.
0: Yeah, and the truth is that whether the unknown is based in truth or misconception, we all have a desire to be acknowledged and heard. We want our concerns addressed with honesty and respect, as I mentioned earlier from the conversation with Dr. Van, which in turn communicates value and builds trust. One of the other reasons this comment rose to the top of our list of moments is because I'm just really grateful to work where I do, with the people I call teammates and friends. No two hospices are alike, we, we know that, but the compassionate care of the nurses and staff we work alongside here at Hospice of the Piedmont is second to none. I loved to hear Joanne share about helping a patient and family discover what matters most to them and help them attain those needs, wants, and desires by listening intentionally and then making a plan. Yes, we all want to be heard, but to be able to put your hopes and fears in trustworthy hands, there's something really comforting and affirming about that.
1: Absolutely. These themes continue to roll into our next clip. This is from our conversation with Giselle Monsi, director of the YWCA Latino Family Center, in the episode, Exploring Our Community, Identifying Health Disparities. Let's listen in.
4: When I was a kid, when I was a child, um, you know, we migrated. I'm originally from Argentina. Um, we moved to Miami, Florida. My parents, you know, they're like, you know, we want to give you guys a better future, so we're doing this, right? Um, and I remember growing up, um, we decided to we had to go to the doctor. Um, but I remember my parents telling me, when you go to the doctor, right? If they ask you how is your health, you know, do you have, you know, X, Y, and Z? No, I feel great. Do you have this? No, I feel great. Make sure that you answer that everything is great, that everything is is going well, right? So I grew up, if I had to go to the doctor, I grew up going, sitting down and saying, you know, do you have headaches? No, I feel great, right? Do you, does your stomach hurt? No, I feel great. And maybe it was hurting, but I had to say that everything was great, right? Because we could not afford to have, you know, like follow-up checkups or buy the medicine or whatever it was, right? So I grew up like this. So then I, you know, I become independent, do my life, go to the doctor for the very first time as an adult, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember I I made up an appointment because I I needed something, but I didn't know how to express it. So I go to the doctor, you know, and they're like, oh, so hi, Giselle, how are you? You know, I'm doing well, you know, and they're like, okay, so we're going to go through, you know, the initial checklist that they do. And they're like, oh, so do you, you know, smoke? No. Do you drink? No. Well, do you have, you know, migraines? No, do you have this? No, you know, well, you know, you, you, whatever. They asked me all these questions and I'm like, oh, I, I'm good. I'm good. I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. And finally, the doctor's like, so why are you here? <laughs> and I'm like, and in my head, I'm like, well, I have issues. Like I'm going through issues, but I couldn't communicate it. Right. And so I kind of said that, right. Like, I'm like, well, you know, I'm going through this, but I, I just gave them like three words and they were like. So this is what you need to tell me. And finally, when I opened up, I almost felt like I violated some kind of trust between my parents and I, like all of a sudden, like they, I felt vulnerable. Like, I'm like, who are you? Like all of a sudden now you're looking into me and you're asking me more questions. And I'm like, oh, I was not ready for this, right?
0: right. Um,
4: and so I ha- it was a huge mind shift, cultural phenomenon for me, where I, I went from like growing up saying like, everything is fine, everything is fine. And then all of a sudden I'm like, wait, but I have more. I have migraines or i have this or is this normal all of a sudden like i just bombarded the doctor with all these questions and he was like whoa, whoa whoa okay one at a time right <laughs> um but you know and I, I i thought i was the only one well then i saw the same idea later on i worked as an interpreter at one point and i saw people doing the same thing like they were at the doctor because you know they were they got hurt or you know whatever the case it, it was and you know they will sit with me and they will be like, oh yeah, my, you know, I broke my arm um, and I had to have like 10 stitches and I have a rod and it's been painful and it bothers me and at nighttime I can't sleep. The doctor walks in, so Mr. So-and-so, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm like, wait, you just told me that it hurts at nighttime, right? And so I don't wanna violate that trust with the patient. So I'm just translating back and forth. And finally I tell the doctor, I'm like, would you give me just a minute? Like, let me, I have a conversation. And so I'm telling, you know, my patient, like, you really need to share what's going on. Right. But their response was, but I don't have insurance. And if I share this, it's just going to be more appointments. And that means I have to take off of work. And that means that it's going to be another bill. And it means that it's just, you know, all these different barriers. And so at that point, I'm like, your health is first. If you cannot take care of your health, you won't be able to work. You're not gonna be able to provide for your family. So you need to share what really is going on. And once they were able to see that, you know, and trust the fact, right? They were able to start sharing, but otherwise they would have been like, oh, I'm doing fine, but they're dying in pain, right? And so I think it's, it's just a, it, it's one, and it's not that we don't like going to the doctor. We do because in our countries, we do go to the doctor. Sure. It's the accessibility piece yeah. that's an issue right like right. there's different barriers that we have to cross in order to go see a doctor
1: this conversation impacted me on many levels the most prominent being that it opened my eyes to the perspective of those with a different life experience than my own especially when it comes to health care when i was eight years old i was diagnosed with kidney cancer my survival was based on the ability to be transparent and vulnerable with healthcare providers and to take the journey together as if we were on a team. My family fully relied on the wisdom of our medical providers as I experienced numerous surgeries, chemotherapy treatments, and radiation. This was a tremendous financial burden for my family, but thankfully we did have insurance and we had access to the healthcare that I needed to survive. So from a young age, my perspective was to be 100% transparent with healthcare providers because I related that transparency to good health outcomes. I was the young kid who was really too self-aware when it came to my own health, which has continued into adulthood. My perspective walking into the doctor's office is to go in there for help and to make sure that I disclose every possible thing that is concerning. This episode made me feel extremely grateful to have been this fortunate in my personal experience, but also extremely moved to have a deeper understanding of the healthcare difficulties and lack of access that impact so many within the community around me. We all come into situations with different lenses like a pair of glasses that we're looking through. They can be based on what we were taught by our families and what our own life experiences have been up to that point this conversation allowed me to take off my lenses and look through someone else's great compassion is found in understanding the perspectives of those around us especially when they're different from our own
0: i really appreciate you sharing your story jessica and i really appreciate your commentary we all bring to the table encounters that shape our perspective i love that you were able to take off your glasses and try on giselle's in response to her comments It's in that kind of willingness to take on another person's worldview, even if only for a moment, that empathy replaces experience and we grow as humans. Part of what stood out to me so much in this episode with Giselle's journey that began with her personal experience with healthcare that later moved her into advocacy as an adult. She learned the hard way by means of a kind yet prodding doctor to be open and honest about her health concerns, and with that newfound knowledge, she was able to guide and help others let go of their fears and accessibility concerns, the same ones she once held on to.
1: That's right. As an advocate, she's able to be with people in the unknown. That is so incredibly powerful.
0: Yes, it is. That sentiment is continued in our next clip from our conversation with Dr. Goldie Smith Byrd of the Maya Angelou Center for Health Equity, entitled, Defining Health Disparities. Let's re-listen to this clip.
5: Kaiser Family Foundation Center uh, Research re- released a, a, a research policy paper not too long ago, so it's very timely, about a year ago, that said estimates are that health disparities account for about $93 billion, and that's with a B, dollars in excess medical care and another $42 billion, also with a B, dollars in lost productivity per year, as well as economic losses due to premature deaths. Yes. This is a, a gargantuan problem.
6: We have too many distressed communities, mm-hmm. uh, communities with low socioeconomic status, communities with environmental hazards, communities where the unemployment rate is disproportionately uh, high. So we have, then we have, you know, where the education attainment is so low uh, and students in their areas in in East Winston-Salem, as an example, where the third grade reading level is 27% among African-American kids. So there are just atrocities. uh, And that kid is not going, the kid who can't read at the third grade is probably not going to read at eighth grade or twelfth grade. And they'll never get into Wake Forest or Winston-Salem State University with, that, with that, that kind of uh, uh, reading problem. So there, are, and I know that there are efforts to improve that here, but people need to know that those kinds of disparities exist. And not only will that kid not be able to go to college and not get a good job maybe, and that child may already be in poverty and will remain in poverty. And, and then the health outcomes of that kid be poor, which will cost that kid, that kid's family and all of us quite frankly.
5: Coming back to that $93 billion nationally that we sort of began our conversation
0: with and it really does begin to have a a cumulative effect. How well do we understand our community? Those who live next to us, those who we see in the grocery store or those playing at the park next to our kids. And what about those who don't share our life experience? Do we make an effort to self-educate and then advocate for those in need and facing barriers? I know for me, my intentions are way better than my actions.
1: This goes back to what we first talked about with being willing to ask difficult questions and approach hard topics. Are we really willing to do that? Trent and Dr. Bird shared a snapshot of what one life experience can be and the potential national impact of those circumstances because we know that one life experience is not truly an isolated incident.
0: And let's take it even one step further. Once we are educated, what are we going to do with it? Once you know you become responsible, ignorance may be bliss, but knowledge is power. Now that I know, I have to do something about it. Whether it be recognizing my own innate privilege or using my voice, my time, my resources to enact change, the inequity around me is not something I can in good conscience ignore. The solution begins with education, but it can't stop there.
1: I mean, do you ever feel like the needs around us are so large and complex that it's hard to even know where to begin? Sometimes I wonder what I can do to make a difference. Then I start to realize that it just takes one to form a ripple effect, gaining momentum from others to then become a massive wave of change. There are some incredible local organizations doing just that. Ryan, I know you and your team here at Hospice of the Piedmont have worked hand in hand with some of these organizations and their ongoing efforts. Tell us about that.
0: As a United Way partner agency, we've had the opportunity to get to know a lot of local nonprofit organizations making a big impact in the community. During the pandemic, when many volunteer departments shut down, ours included, our CEO Trent generously paid our team to fill our time assisting other local nonprofits in need of manpower. As one example, we were able to assist Backpack Beginnings in their work distributing food to school-aged children to address the rampant issue of food insecurity in our community. This is just one of many local incredible organizations providing needed support and resources to the community.
1: In this season of giving, I want to encourage all of us to take inventory of the needs in our community. As Dr. Bird shared, the needs are here, right here in our own backyard. Let's join together and help meet the needs around us. Jumping back to your comments about being informed and then having a personal responsibility, my hope is to demonstrate my life has been impacted through the efforts I make to support those around me by expressing empathy and kindness. Brooks Johnson, a chaplain at High Point Medical Center, speaks to this point in the next clip we've chosen to highlight. This clip is from the episode, The Intersection of Faith and Help from the Individual. Let's listen in.
5: In my study of theology, I really love the concept of this African word. It's called Ubuntu. And uh, a book that I really cherish is uh, a book called The Rainbow People of God by Desmond Tutu. For which he says this, we Africans speak about a concept difficult to render in English. We speak of Ubuntu or botho. You know it when it's there because it is obvious and it's obvious when it is absent. It has to do with what it means to be truly human. It refers to gentleness, to compassion, Mm. to hospitality, to openness to others to vulnerability, to be able to be available for others and to know that you are bound up with them in the bundle of life. For a person is only a person through other persons. Wow. I love that. A person is only a person through other persons. How you and I, Trent, talk about and see our commonalities It restores us, it encourages us, it lifts us up. And we can only do that from a place of vulnerability, but we have to, you know, peel away. We talked about the veil earlier of all those things that have clouded our vision. We have to help each other pull that away to see the beauty in who we are as human beings. I kind of believe that kindness and suffering, they really hold hands. Mm-hmm. And I like, I'm a person of imagery as part of who I am, you know, as an ordained Christian minister who's very liturgical. So I, I love images and how they remind me of simple things. So this idea that kindness and suffering can actually hold hands because oftentimes we, um, we're really not kind to ourselves. And oftentimes that's what fosters a magnitude of suffering that we don't necessarily need or deserve and so it's through this acknowledgement that we are all broken individuals and so that brokenness we deal with suffering we all have suffering Um, but again we're not we're not really comfortable with it it doesn't feel good it's you know We want to move beyond it. Oftentimes that suffering we feel is connected to what we didn't do properly or our shortcomings. Mm -hmm. And so when we can acknowledge our suffering or perhaps really speak to or acknowledge the suffering that's around us, we can then really truly embrace the the beauty within kindness Mm -hmm. and how it is that simply being kind to ourselves is a place to start. And in doing so, we can then really reach out to our brothers and sisters in kindness.
1: Ryan, I know this was one of the most impactful episodes for you. Walk us through that.
0: It definitely was. There is a lot to unpack here. I loved this African concept of Ubuntu that Brooks unpacks for us. It puts into a word, a trait, I want to be to others. Six years ago, my wife and I entered into a transracial open adoption of our baby girl who's in kindergarten now and not so much a baby. But it changed my life forever. Not simply because of the joys and, and yes challenges of fatherhood, but the bubble of privilege and exposure I had lived in my whole life had been popped and my eyes were open to the life experience of others in a way that it had had never been before. I want my daughter to have Ubuntu with me. Well, let's be real. I'd love for her to experience what Brooks described in all facets of her life, but I'm not naive enough to believe that a possibility. But what I can control is me, and I want to be her Ubuntu, her safe place where she experiences gentleness, compassion, open arms to hold her, and open ears to hear her. But I also know that to live out Ubuntu the way it is intended, it can't just be extended to her. This need for and call to Ubuntu is bigger than that. If a person is only a person through other persons, then I cannot ignore or avoid the needs, heartaches, and suffering of others. I must learn to lean in and enter that suffering, even when it's hard or uncomfortable, or I don't know how to or where to begin. To be honest, this is very uncomfortable for me. It's so unnatural, but it is so necessary. If we are all broken people in in some way, then there is something unifying in knowing that and choosing to offer kindness, compassion, and empathy.
1: Thanks for being so vulnerable, Ryan, and sharing your story. I think you're spot on. At the end of the day, what we want is ubuntu extended to us but in order for that to take place we must first extend that to others around us that process calls for vulnerability as we enter into their experience this action pushes us out of our comfort zones and into the unknown
0: it does but i think it is incredibly impactful to be able to honestly say to someone you are valuable and ubuntu is one way of showing that the next clip is a great example of someone doing just that while being thrust into the active role of caregiving. This final clip is from our conversation with Ursula Robinson, Executive Director of Pace of the Triad, in the episode "The Face of Caregiving." Let's listen in.
7: And I think you will find this with many caregivers, even the term caregiving. Let me start right there. Mm-hmm. Um, for many of us, that is too formal or um, it, it, it's yeah, it's too formal because we're just doing what our loved ones would have done for us. We're just sure. taking care of family. That's, that's really what it's about. You're being, responsible. You're being, being responsible, being responsible. Sure. Um, they helped you and now you're giving back to mm-hmm. your loved ones. And so that's the way we see caregiving. And I think that's the way the majority of caregivers view it. Um, it it certainly shapes and molds you. You are never the same once you've been a caregiver. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, it has taught me about certainly all the 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 balls that life will throw at you Mm -hmm. and how you can double all of those balls. It has certainly helped me to have a deeper faith. Um, My faith has matured. Um, I also became someone who could set boundaries, something that I had struggles with. But after being a caregiver, that was something that I, I had to learn in order to survive as a caregiver, particularly being a caregiver for three people. You can Mm -hmm. probably imagine um, that I really had to to buckle down and and learn to, to set limits. So for me, it was just a matter of taking care of my loved one. It certainly was not an obligation at all.
0: One thing that I loved about this conversation, as well as the entire caregiving series, was that the act of caregiving is really a call to action inspired by love. Being a caregiver changes you, or as Ursula put it, you're never the same after being a caregiver. Setting your own priorities, agenda, and essentially your life aside for the care of another person develops in you not only the ability to multitask or set boundaries, but teaches empathy, compassion, and selflessness, characteristics that can only be learned through experience.
1: That's right, and to dive a little deeper, some of the most remarkable learning and personal growth comes from when we experience some of the most difficult chapters in life. Ursula shared how her experience as a caregiver shaped her and molded her and how she had to learn certain skills in this role in order to, as she said, survive as a caregiver. This to me speaks to the challenge of caregiving. It is not for the faint of heart, whether you're a caregiver by choice or by default. It's an exhausting process that is draining mentally, physically, and emotionally. Hearing Ursula come out on the other side of her caregiving experience, being able to reflect on the positive impact of her experience demonstrates true resilience. She sounds self-aware and confident. The lessons she learned have carried into her personal career at pace of the triad. Going back to a comment that I shared earlier about the lens we look through. I think now is the time that we start to look through the lens of caregivers, that we begin to better understand their needs and priorities and also we can better support them you know it's ironic we created this series as a way to provide an educational offering for the public but what's so interesting about the process is that in the end we have been learners and not teachers we have learned and grown through this process this series has led to much self-evaluation as individuals and as an entire organization at hospice of the piedmont which has led to better practices as an organization we have learned to become better listeners, to hear the needs, wants, and priorities of those we serve and better address them.
0: Yes, we're more in tune to the fears, concerns, and misconceptions wrapped up in the unknown and how to respond with calm reasoning and honest understanding. As we consider Ursula's call to action for the needs of caregivers, we as hospice of the Piedmont have chosen to lean in and do better. There is much that we could say regarding our organization's plans, but for now we'll leave you with an invitation. Not only to tune in to the E-Series in 2022, as we unpack what has been in the works in the caregiving space for nearly a year, but we invite you to personally engage with Ubuntu. Whether in your own family, neighborhood, community, even with our organization, find a way to show compassion, gentleness, hospitality, and kindness. With Christmas and the new year right around the corner, this is the perfect time of year to make an investment in another person. After all, a person is only a person through other persons. Thank you for taking this journey with us through the past year of conversations. We wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. My name is Ryan Biagini.
1: And I'm Jessica Crisp. And And this this has has been been The E-Series.